Bible says not to give up meeting together, encouraging one another. It's important to just encourage people. You know, the power of life and death is in the tongue. I had an interesting experience yesterday playing football. We were playing a, a team that was not a very nice team. And uh, I was just minding my own business, walking around on the field. The ball was down the other end. And uh, one of the guys on the other team came up and he just got stuck into me verbally, called me all sorts of horrible things. And uh, like it, I wish that I could say it was just water off a duck's back, but I got so upset. And I was like, and it wasn't true. Like he was calling me all these things that I knew were not like, they weren't true at all. I'm not that person. But I went home and I was wound up and I was in bed and I was wound up. I was like, man. The power that is in words is just phenomenal. Do you know what, sir? So I had a very, I had, I had a very, some not very executive pastor words back to him, let's just say. It was not my finest moment. And I came home and I told Liz, and Liz was like, well, you should have just done this. And I was like, I know what I should have done now. But a punch in the face, sometimes that's all you got. No, don't worry. Don't worry. That's fine. Um, what I want to talk to you this morning about is, I'll give you the blueprint for this morning. So I want to pick up on something that Glenn mentioned last week in passing on Sunday morning. And uh, I'll tell some stories. We'll look at the Bible and then we'll go have lunch. Sound like a good, a good blueprint for a... Sunday morning? All right. So, so last week, Glenn, uh, he talked about a lot of things last week. It was a very, very good message. But he made this little wee comment in passing. And when he said it, I felt something happen inside of me. And I was like, well, that's an interesting feeling. Uh, and it was just this feeling like, oh, yeah, that's, that's good. He was talking about a couple that he and Deb are working with. And he just made this comment. He said, oh, he said, they're growing and that's okay. Just this little wee comment, but when he said it, I felt this thing inside me go, oh, you know what? It is okay to be growing. It's okay to not be there yet. You know, it's okay. And I just felt like, oh, for me, that was a really nice thing to hear. And I've been mulling over it during the week, and I thought, I want to camp around that this morning, because I want to stand up here and, on behalf of the leaders and the pastors and the staff, say, it's okay to not be perfect. Like, it's okay to be on a journey. It's okay to be processing things. It's okay to be growing. Like, we're okay with that. In fact, you know, we're trying to create an environment here at Thrive where it is as easy as possible for you to grow. I think that the name of our church is just so perfect, Thrive. Um, I remember when we came up with the name, we sort of floated the idea with some of the, the wider leaders, and some of the response came back, Thrive is a fertilizer on sale at the warehouse. <laughs> and, uh, and we were aware of that. And, and we thought, oh, yes, we're going to get all these jokes. I go to a crap church, ha, 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 because, you know, it's a fertilizer, and fertilizer is made out of that. Um, but actually, it's perfect, because what is fertilizer used for? It's used to enhance growth. It's what you apply to something when you want to make it as easy as possible to grow. When you're trying to create an environment where you're promoting growth, you put fertilizer on, you say, this will make it easier for you. And that's what this church is for. You know, we're filling this building up with people that aren't perfect, that are working on things, that have issues. And we're saying, you know what? All of that is fine as long as you're growing. You know, give me, I mean, think of it in a, as a numerical sense. I would rather have a two that is growing than an eight that is stagnant because it's only a matter of time before that two is past it. 
It's like the tortoise and the hare. You know, you've got the hare who's well out in front, but he's stationary. And you've got the tortoise who's well back, but he's moving slowly. It's only a matter of time before he gets past him. And of course he does, because growing people will always get further in life than someone who is not growing, regardless of where you start from. So don't feel like, oh, I'm not anywhere near that person. doesn't matter. As long as you're growing, that's the important thing. Um, and I want you guys to understand that as leaders, we are growing. We are not perfect. Um, you know, Glenn and Deb are fantastic people, but they are not inherently better people than the rest of us. You know, last year I wasn't a pastor. This year I am a pastor. Do you know what's changed from last year to this year? Nothing. In fact, I kind of feel like I've gone backwards in some areas. I did get older, a bit more grey, and a bit, I don't worry, a lot less of that. I spend more time in the mirror in the morning trying to get my hair to look like there's more of it than there is. My hair's the only part of me that's not growing. But, you know, we're not, we're not perfect. And sometimes what happens is the devil tries to tell you this little wee thing. He goes, oh, look, you know, you, you can't relate to them and they can't relate to you because they don't know what you're going through because they don't go through it because they're perfect. They're pastors. Oh, man, that's so not true. Pastors have, I think in some cases, we have more things to deal with because we're getting stuff thrown at us. And we've got to carry other people's, um, you know, emotional stuff as well. It's, it's hard work being a pastor. That's why I make Glenn do it all. But we're not, we're not perfect. Um, and in the interest of being real, I thought, I thought, what are some stories that I could tell that show that I'm not perfect? It was really hard to find some. <laughs> but I managed to dredge up a couple from just last week even. No, there's, there's plenty. Uh, so like, we, we have issues. I have issues. Like my marriage is a good marriage, but it's not perfect. You know, Liz and I, it's not like we never argue. Have you ever stopped and thought about how many people have argued about this thing that we're arguing about right now? Has that ever crossed your mind, that thought? You know, they say that the two most common things that people argue about in a relationship is sex and money. Not enough of both, probably. <laughs> I mean, it's, come on, it's not because there's too much. When was the last time you had an argument, oh my goodness, there's just too much sex and money in this relationship? It's because it's there's not, you know, you, you want more. You know, but have you ever, so if you've ever argued about one of those things, you know you're in good company because everyone argues about those. But around Christmas time, Liz and I had this argument. Oh, man, it was a doozy. It's probably our biggest one of the year. Christmas is a stressful time. There's a lot going on. Finances are a bit tight because your wife wants to buy expensive presents for all of the family, and you're like, just the Salvation Army's fine. Um, you know, the kids too, they don't even care what they're getting. You can give them a cardboard box and they'd be fine. Um, so it's a stressful time, and Liz and I ended up having the biggest argument that we've, we'd had that year, and it was all about, brace yourself, the correct method to weigh a ham. <laughs> so in my defense, I was not yet a pastor. It was last year. It was a pre-pastor argument. Um, and what had happened was we had bought a pig from Jared. Jared had raised up some pigs on the farm, and he'd said, do you guys want a pig, $500, get the whole thing? And I was like, yep, let's do it. And the time came for the pig to be taken care of, killed, yep, shot in the head. There you go. 
And Jared said, hey, the pigs at the butchers, the home kill guy, go and pick it up. When you get there, make sure you tell him that you got the biggest pig. Because there's three or four pigs that were down there. Yours is the biggest pig because you're my brother and you were the first person to buy a pig. So you get the biggest pig. And I was like, yes. So I went down, said to the butcher, oh, by the way, my pig's the biggest pig. He went, uh-huh, the biggest pig. Yep. Gives me these banana boxes. And I'm like, I would have thought a pig would be more meat than this. All right, then that's weird. Went home, opened up the banana boxes and looked at the meat and I realized why the pig was the biggest pig. It was fat. (laughs) I think, you know, we only shortened its life by a day or two because a heart attack was just around the corner. Like we've got this bacon, like big bits of bacon like this, and it's like a 50-cent piece of meat in the middle, and then this fat around the outside. And uh, it was too dangerous to cook because it just like spat up and you were like, we ended up throwing most of it away because it just we had to cook like an entire packet of bacon to get one sandwich. And uh, so it was all this money down the drain and, you know, we're looking at all this meat and Liz is like, why did you buy a pig from your brother? And I was like, oh, I was trying to be nice. You know, she's like... And it wasn't Jared's fault, so I had nowhere to channel my, who do I blame for this? It's not Jared's fault. I just had this... It was just going around in circles and we had a hand made up and then I thought, I know... When you buy meat from the supermarket, you pay per kilo, right? Pork's like $12 a kilo, whatever. I thought, what if it just looks like there's not as much meat, but it's super heavy? You know, so what if I'm looking at this packet going, this packet's $10 at the supermarket, but my packet's only, you know, got like eight bucks worth of meat in it. But what if my meat's like three times as heavy because it's just so nutritious? And it's the equivalent of like a 20 kilo packet of meat. This is what I'm thinking. So I thought, I'll weigh it. But I thought, I'll weigh the ham. We had this ham made up and it wouldn't fit on the kitchen scale. So I went and I grabbed the bathroom scales and I brought them into the kitchen. And I put this ham on the bathroom scales, the digital, and I put it down and it just, the digital display flickers and then disappears. It's not quite heavy enough. And I'm like, oh, I knew in my heart it's because the meat wasn't heavy, but I pursued it. I put my finger on it, just a little bit of downward pressure, and the thing would flick up. I'd be like, yes, and then it would disappear again, and I'm taking it off, I'm moving it around, trying to get it to register, and Liz is watching this, and she's getting darker and darker and darker. And in the end, she goes, that's not how you weigh a ham. And I'm like, what are you, the ham-weighing expert? She goes, that's not how you weigh a ham. You've got to stand on the scales by yourself, weigh yourself, then hop off, pick up the ham, hop back on, weigh yourself with the ham, then hop off and deduct the difference. And I'm like, what am I, a human calculator? That's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. So I'm like pursuing with my ham, and she's in the end she comes over, she's like, give me the ham. She grabs the ham off me. I'm like, no! And I grab it back. And we're like wrestling, like this, get off, you get off. The kids are like, ah! And then I'm like, fine. And I stormed out of the house, because guys get to a certain point where they just like fritz, you know, like I can't handle any more. So they leave. And I'm sitting in the car and I'm like raging. And God goes, hey. I'm like, oh, this is such a bad time, God. He goes, how many people do you reckon have argued about how to weigh a ham? And I'm like, oh, I don't know how many. And he goes, not a lot. And I was like, oh, yeah, like diffused the situation in like two seconds. I was like, yeah, that's funny. And then I started thinking about who would be the most likely candidates to argue about it. Maybe a butcher and his wife would have it happen more often than an accountant and his wife. 
But you know, we're not we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I have um, insecurities like like everybody else. I remember when uh, Glenn and I first started dialoguing about my becoming a pastor here, and we got to the point where we pretty much nailed it down. It's going to be an executive pastor type thing, and we'll bring it to the church and ask them what they think. Make sure there's nothing that pops up that no one's got any major issues with it. And Glenn said, "Hey." Before we do that, there's a pastor's day coming up. Now, a pastor's day is when all the New Life pastors in Canterbury get together and they have coffee and they do lunch and they network and we get a speaker in and it goes for a, for a day. And I was like, oh, Glenn, that sounds horrible. Because for me, my most uncomfortable situation you can place me in is a room full of people where everybody knows everybody else and nobody knows me. I can't... I can't insert myself into conversations. I end up just sitting in the corner playing on my iPad pretending that no one else is in the room. I hate it. Um, And so I was concerned about that because these guys have known each other for years and no one knows me. I also had no context for being there. I couldn't say, hi, I'm Josh, I'm the executive pastor because we hadn't brought it to you guys. It hadn't been confirmed. So I was just, who was I? And I said, Glenn, I wouldn't want to do it. And the other thing, being honest, was I was very concerned about how I would compare to Jared. Yeah. Because <laughs> Jared's my brother. And Jared has been in ministry for years. He's fantastic at it. He's got an awesome reputation around New Zealand within the New Life movement. And he's qualified in it. And I was like, man, on every level, experience, qualifications, um, relationship with people, I just, I'm nobody. And I'm going to walk in there and everyone's going to go, hey, who are you? And I can't say that I'm the executive pastor, so I'm going to have to say I'm Jared's brother. And then forever I'll be Jared's brother. And I said to Glenn the day before, I said, Glenn, please don't make me go. I don't want to go. I said, this is what's going to happen, Glenn. I'll turn up. Everyone will go, oh, you're Jared's brother. And we'll meld into one person. And then by the time the day's finished, everyone will remember Jared and no one will even know that I was there. And Glenn goes, no, that won't happen. Well, maybe it will. (laughs) But you're going anyway. And I was like, So the next day, Chris and Glenn come around to pick me up. So Chris and Glenn are in the front. Glenn's driving. I'm in the back. We have to go pick Jared up from the airport because he's just landed from speaking at some engagement up in the North Island where everyone loved him and thought he was awesome. So he hops in the car and we're driving down to Leeston. So picture this. You've got Glenn. Glenn knows what's happening here. You've got Glenn and Chris in the front, Jared and me in the back. I'm sitting in the back and I'm very quiet because I'm thinking, oh, I don't want to do this day. And in my head I'm thinking, Jared and me, we're just going to blend into one person. And now the thing with God is that God is naughty. He's got a very, very twisted sense of humor, and he plays pranks. So I'm sitting there thinking, Jared and me are going to blend into one person. I can't believe this. I turn to Jared, and I realize to my horror, we are wearing the exact same outfit. (laughs) Same shirt, pants, jeans, shoes, like we look identical. And I just go... Jared! And he's like, what? And I go, we're wearing the same clothes! And Jared goes, ah! Because, like, don't want to be compared with me, obviously. Glenn looks in the rearview mirror, sees us like Tweedledum and Tweedledee, puts the dots together, and loses it. 
The car's like weaving across the road because he's like can't even drive in a straight line. And I'm just like, God, what are you doing to me? And all I hear from God is, <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is a good prank. I'll give you that. You know, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I have insecurities. Um, although I think I must have grown because the other day Jared turned up wearing the same shirt as me and it hardly bothered me at all. Hardly, yeah. Um, so I wanted to say, look, we're all in this together. We're all growing. We're all on a journey. You know, don't, don't feel that you need to come to church and put that Christian mask on where people say, hey, how's it going? You go, oh, it's good, but it's not good. You know, you need help. Um, we want this to be a church where not only can you come and go, oh, bad week, but that people know you well enough to see that and say, hey, what's, you're right, you need help, you need prayer, whatever. Um, you know, we're not interested in putting a program on where you come and we sing songs, you hear a message, you go home, and then that's it. You know, the statistics about the percentage of information that you retain from a presentation like this is terrible. Like, if you get even sort of, if you remember 18% of what I say, you're, you're in them, you're doing well. Um, and there's a huge amount of effort that goes into putting us, even financially, if you look at our budget, and you're more than welcome to, to put on a Sunday service, on average, we're talking about $5,000 every Sunday to put this on. And we're not, we don't want to do that for just fun. You know, like, we want, we want people to grow, to change, to, you know, win at life. And you don't do that by pretending that things are okay when they're not. It's okay, guys. It's okay to say, hey, I need help with this, or I could make my marriage better. Do you know what the enemy of great is? It's good. I heard that during the week. I thought, that's awesome. You know, the enemy of great is good. It's not bad or awful. It's when we get to a place where we go, hey, this is good, and then we, we're happy with that. We leave it. So many people, they get to good, and they go, oh, that's good, and they never get to great. But God is calling us to be great. He's calling us to have great marriages, to have great relationships, to have great businesses, to have great lives. Let's not settle for good. Let's push into great. Right, let's, um, let's make this legal. Let's go to the Bible. What I have here is the biblical recipe for growth. Now, the thing I like about this is that it is almost effortless it seems, from our point of view. The thing I like about this is that it's a man's recipe for growth. You know, Liz is an awesome baker and cook, and it's not unusual for me to come home and for her to have all sorts of food out on the bench and things on the stove and a laptop open with this complicated recipe about, you know, caramelizing sugar and then adding this and adding that. It's very complicated. But a man's recipe is like a microwave dinner, heat and eat, right? This is a man's recipe for growth. There's one step to it. Mark chapter 4, verse 26, Jesus is talking. He's telling a parable. So it's a story that he's made up to make a point. In verse 26, he says, A man, see, I told you it was a man's recipe. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So what he's saying is, here, look, here you've got a guy who is experiencing growth in his life, right? He's experiencing growth. But he doesn't have to do anything. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. 
This guy, this, is hap- this growth is happening in his life so organically, so subconsciously, he can't even explain how it's happening. He says, I don't even know how this growth is happening. Look at the next sentence. He says, all by itself, the soil produces grain. You know the phrase, all by itself, means all by itself. Like if I turn up and I say, hey, look, here's a cake that I made. I made it all by myself then you would know that nobody helped me. Nobody did anything apart from me because I made it all by myself. So if the soil produces grain all by itself, that means it had no outside help. That means this guy isn't watering in it. He's not putting fertilizer on it. He's not raking the ground. He's not stressing over it. He's just, it's just happening. It says night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. This guy is experiencing growth while he sleeps. You know, I fully believe that God can work on us while we're in bed sleeping. How many times have you woken up in the morning, you've had a dream during the night about someone, it was a bad dream, and you wake up and you're actually ticked off at them? Like that happens, eh? Like you wake up and the emotion of the dream is still with you while you're awake. Now, if that can happen in a negative way, you know, you wake, I mean, I've had dreams where Liz and I have had an argument. I wake up and I'm like... You know, because of the, the dream. If that can happen in a negative way, how many people know it can happen in a, in a good way? That God can deposit something in you while you're sleeping and you wake up and you're just like, man, I feel good. Oh, the peace of God is on me because of what God did in you during the night. And the Bible says that. It says night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. So I read this and I think, gee, I've got to get me some of that. This guy doesn't have to do anything. And he experiences growth. The other thing too is that even though he is growing subconsciously, I guess you could say, organically, he's still very aware that he's growing. Because it says at the end that as soon as the grain is ripe, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. So even though he is not working, he's not stressing, he's not striving to grow, he is still aware that growth is happening because as soon as it's ready to go, boom, he's operating in it. He knows, how, he knows that it's ready. Does that make sense? So how do we do this? There's one step I said, and it's really simple. It's at the very start. It says, a man scatters seed on the ground. That's the only thing that we see this guy do. He scatters seed on the ground, and then the seed takes root. It grows all by itself, whether he's awake or whether he's asleep. He scatters seed on the ground. Now, in Luke, Jesus explains some of these things a bit more, and he says, look, the seed is the word of God. There's lots of different... um, ways, I guess, that the Word of God can come into your life, that can come to you through a message like this, podcasts, worship songs, a friend speaking to you, God speaking directly to you through circumstances, and it comes to you through the Bible. I want to just camp on the Bible this morning, and we'll wrap up in about five, ten minutes. So the Bible says, look, if you sow the Word of God into your life, that's all you need to do. You don't need to stress about anything else. Growth will just happen. I really believe if you sow this into your life, then the growth will take care of itself. If you are, if you are regularly reading this, then growth will just happen. It'll happen while you're awake. It'll happen while you're asleep. It'll happen to a point that you say, I don't even understand how I've got so much more of a handle on this situation than I used to have. I don't understand how I have so much more wisdom for this kind of thing than I would have had previously. I don't understand where this growth has come from. I'll tell you where it's come from. It's come from just sowing this. Um, I'll tell you two things about reading the Bible which really helped me. 
The first thing that I want to tell you is that whether you read this every day or whether you never read it and hate reading it will not change how much God loves you. It will not change how God feels about you because the way that God feels about us, his love for us is independent of our actions. And the reason I say that is because I know what it's like to not read your Bible and then feel guilty about not reading your Bible. But in my experience, all that does is result in me not reading my Bible more because I, I end up feeling like somehow I've disappointed God or I've let God down because all of us in this room would agree that we should read this, right? I mean, there's no one that's going to say, I actually believe you shouldn't read the Bible. Oh, we all believe that we should read this, but all of us struggle to find time to fit into a routine to, to read it. And so all of us in this room would be sitting there going, yeah, I need to read that more. You know, and we're all in different places, but that's all right. You know, some will be reading it weekly, some will be reading it monthly, some wouldn't have picked it up for ages, I guess, but it doesn't matter because we're all growing. But the worst thing that you can do is, is go, oh, God's annoyed at me about it. And that's what I used to do. I used to, you know, go, God, I'm going to read my Bible every day this month. And I'd get a chart out and I'd put ticks on the boxes every day. And then I'd miss a day or two and I'd be like, oh, God, I let you down because I told you I'd do it and I haven't. And then I would just not read it. Because the human response is that you don't want to spend time with someone that you feel you've disappointed. Hey, like if you have an argument with, like if I feel like I've let Liz down, I, I will distance myself from her to give her time to cool off or whatever. You don't, you don't draw closer to someone that you just feel you've ticked off. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me because it's so much like the devil to make you feel guilty for not doing something that he doesn't want you to do in the first place. Like the devil goes, look, the last thing I want this guy to do is to read his Bible. Don't read it. And then you don't read it and he goes, oh man, you didn't read your Bible, you horrible person. You. Uh, it's just ridiculous. So I wanted to be clear this morning, God is not disappointed. He's, you, it's impossible to disappoint God. It's impossible to let God down. It's impossible for God to get mad at you because all of that stuff was placed on Jesus on the cross. All of your not reading your Bible was placed on Jesus on the cross. You never need to worry about rocking into God's room and God going, mm, before we can hang out, we need to get some things sorted out. Like, I mean, it's a complicated issue, but do you know, you know what I mean? Like, God is not disappointed in you. So whether you have read it recently or haven't read it in ages, know that as soon as you pick it up, God's going to be like, awesome, let's do this thing. And if you read it for a couple of days this week because you're inspired and then you forget about it and you end up picking it up in a couple of months' time, God's going to go, awesome, let's, let's just carry on where we left off. That's the first thing I want to say. Whether you read it or don't read it, doesn't change God's relationship to you. The second thing I want to say is whether you read it or don't read it will totally change the way you relate to God. Reading it or not reading it will not change how much God loves you. Reading it or not reading it will totally change how much you love God. Reading it or not reading it will not change how God feels about you. It will totally change how you feel about God. And this is one of those things like he's talking about where he says he can't explain it. When I am reading my Bible in a regular pattern, my life is better. I can't explain it any other way than to say that my life improves when I'm regularly reading my Bible, when I'm regularly sowing that seed. My marriage is better. I relate to my kids better. Everybody in my life ticks me off less. Um, when I read my Bible, it just improves everything. And I don't know how to describe it other than to say that. 
A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. I like that. If I could sum up the message this morning, it would be to say, look, it's, it's okay to not be perfect as long as we're growing. Don't ever feel that you're going to be judged in this place. Um, and if you want to grow, and uh, no, I won't say that. So I, have a, I have this naughty saying, which I say to Glenn, uh, which is grow or go. Remember that? Glenn's much more pastoral than me. So if uh, I'm always like, no, Glenn, grow or go. My attitude is like, you know, if people don't want to grow, then let's just leave. <laughs> which is, that is just Josh. That's not... That's not anybody else. But if someone comes and we're like, oh, we've got this particular issue with this person, and Glenn's being really good and Jesus-like and working with them through it, and I'm just like, grow or go, Glenn. They've got to grow. Or I'm like, you know, we grow or we create an environment where growth is so encouraged that if people dig their feet in and say, I don't want to grow, that it becomes, I don't know, awkward, I guess. And what we're doing here is we're going to create, an, we're, we're going to, thrive in here we're going to place fertilizer in here we're going to say look this this room is going to be a room where you will grow and you will be given opportunities to grow even little things like saying go and find someone and say something encouraging you know you're going to grow you're going to be challenged by the word we're not going to we're not here just to warm seats that kind of stuff so you're going to grow let's um let's all stand